Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series entitled God's House. In this series, we learn how God's house is a place where generosity flows, where serving others is the norm, where we exist for the guest, where family is first, where hope is found in abundance, where grace happens, and God's house is a place where people can come as they are. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message from our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly. I love your excitement to be in the house of the Lord and maybe hear the word of God. Amen. Amen. Welcome to you folks. So glad you are here. I want to give a warm shout out to all of our campuses. I'm thinking of the folks in the Sand Hills of North Carolina in Sanford. Give it up for those guys. I'm thinking of the Internet Campus. I'm thinking of the North Raleigh Campus. They're soft launching today over in North Raleigh and Columbia today. Listen, guys, we are launching two campuses next Sunday, two Don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be a huge day in the movement. So I want to give a shout out to the Columbia campus. I'm thinking of the Garner campus. I'm thinking of the Internet campus. I'm thinking of the Daughters of the King at NCCIW. Amen. I think I got everybody. And last but never least, I give a good welcome to you guys here at the Central South Point campus. So glad all of you are here and uh, man, we, we got a good day on tap. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at um, really Acts chapter 2 through chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. So you kind of get some focus there and there's no need to play around. Amen. Let's jump right in. I was really thankful last week for your passion and your engagement um, at all of our campuses for this series that we're doing, started it last week, ending it today, called God's House. It's called what, church? God's House. And uh, you guys really leaned in. I believe you're, you know, we're all kind of getting a fresh vision for what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And last week, I, I showed you a verse in 1 Kings. And I want us to just read it today before we get to Acts chapter 2. You're good to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2. But in 1 Kings 9-3, let's read it out loud at all of our campuses, really strong, like it is the word of the Lord. Ready, go. God's eye is on it, and his heart is in it. Again, God's eye is on it, and his heart is in it. And I shared last week how this is really a personal message for me. This is really one of the reasons why we started New Hope Church. This is the kind of church I desperately long to pastor. And this is the kind of church that I've been so fortunate and blessed to pastor For 12 years. I said this after that verse last week. And I asked you to repeat it after me. And why don't you do it one more time. His eye is on it. His heart is in it. One more time. His eye is on it. And his heart is in it. That's the house of God. God loves the church. In all of its brokenness. Right? In all of its imperfection. Christ died for the church. And so today I want to just kind of continue in this theme of God's house. Right before we started this church 12 years ago, I lived in Kentucky for a little bit with my wife 
and our three kids back then. And we lived in Kentucky, right outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And I went to a phenomenal church called Southland Christian Church. It is a great, great church. And um, while I was there, I, I came to know Mike Bro, who was the pastor there. And Mike gave me some time, and I got to know him and meet with him. And I learned about this elderly gentleman who would actually sit on the front row of Southland Christian Church. And this elderly gentleman was legally blind. And so the ushers would help him in on Sunday. They would help him down to the front row. And this man of God would take his Bible. He had it marked. He did this every single week. He would open his Bible to Acts chapter 2. Legally blind, remember? And he'd put his hand over Acts chapter 2 like I'm doing right now. And he would kind of rock back and forth like this. And he'd say, do it again, God. Do it again. Because if you're not familiar with the Bible in Acts chapter 2, what we see is the birth of the church. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost goes down. The church is birthed. And this elderly, legally blind saint of God would sit there and just beg God, do it again. And God was doing it in that church. And God's doing it. In this church, amen, building a beautiful, biblically functioning church. And today, what I want to talk to you about is God's house. I just want to drill down on some things today. Here it is. Take out your teaching notes. Grab that pen in front of you, or you can write in your Bibles. It is okay. Here we go. God's house. God's house embodies an unshakable devotion. Write in the word devotion. God's house embodies... An unshakable devotion. As I read the book of Acts, you know what I find in here? I find a group a lot like us. Kind of a motley crew, if you will. Right? And in Acts chapter 2 and and throughout, you find just a fledgling group of believers. And there wasn't anything really special about them. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's a verse in there where it says, They were ordinary and unschooled men. There wasn't anything very spectacular about them. But you know what they had going for them? They had an unshakable devotion. They would not compromise their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Acts 5, 28 and 29 says. Read it out loud with me at all of our campuses. Acts 5, 28 through 29. Ready? Go. We gave strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied. I love this next part. Read it out loud. Ready? We must obey God. We must do what? Obey God rather than what? Man. Come on, let me ask you a question. Do you give more attention to pleasing man than you do God? Come on now. Any people pleasers up in the house? Oh, we got some honest people up in here too. I love it. I'm sure it happened at the campuses, raising your hand. Yeah, some of us, if we're not careful, we can get into pleasing people. And what I would challenge you to do right out of the gate today is, what would it look like in your life if you stopped trying to please people and instead you started trying to please God? Because I got news for you. You can't please everyone. You can't please everyone all the time. You can't even please some of the people all the time. 
What would it look like for you to make a move in your life, a transition, if you will, so that you don't live to please man, but you live to please Christ? You live your life before an audience of one. What you find in the book of Acts is what you find hopefully in this church as well. Folks who are committed to Christ with an unshakable devotion. I know a pastor who tells the story. He was pastoring a church and uh, God kind of got a hold of this guy in his church, changed his life, wrecked his life, brought him out of a bunch of stuff. And the guy started coming up to the pastor every Sunday after church and he said, Pastor, the answer is yes. Pastor didn't know what in the world that was. Next Sunday, the guy came up to him after church. Pastor, just want you to know the answer is yes. Third Sunday, Pastor, I just want you to know, don't ever doubt, the answer is yes. And the pastor was like confused. What is wrong with this guy? Right? And so the pastor took him to lunch and said, I don't understand. What are you saying when you, when you say to me the answer is yes? He says, Pastor, here's the deal. God has changed my life. I'm born again. I'm more fired up for Christ than I have ever been in my entire life. I feel better. I feel more on point. And I just want you to know, Pastor, as God uses you and this church, whatever the question is, whatever you need me to do, whatever God leads me to do, I want you to know, Pastor, the answer is yes. (sighs) Could you say that? Come on now. Come on, let's be honest. We got, we got, it's got some honesty going on up in here. The truth is, for most of us, the answer is maybe. Pastor, I love the Lord. He's changing my life. And whatever God leads us to do, I just want you to know the answer is maybe. <laughs> Come on. We know we can be like that, right? We want to kind of hear our options. You know what I mean? Let's just kind of weigh it out a little bit. Unshakable devotion, though. What it means to be... Sold out, if you will. All in, if you will. Is when a man or a woman says, God, I want you to know I'm so in. I'm so committed to you because you have saved me. You've been so committed to me, God. Whatever you want me to do, the answer is yes. I was at a restaurant not long ago. And I, 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 I get stopped a lot. And I was at a restaurant, and this person stopped me. And sometimes they're good visits. Sometimes they're not so good visits. And let me just go, I haven't said this yet today, but it, if I'm dating my daughter, if you would, just say hey. Like one time I was dating my daughter, and, and a dude just bust up, sat down in the booth. How y'all doing? Dude, I'm dating my daughter, okay? But that's a side note. This, I was at a restaurant, so this guy comes up to me, and they said, Yeah, you know, I, I came to your church about six months ago, but I don't come anymore because on the Sunday I came, there was a traffic jam all the way back to South Point Mall, and I don't want to wait for church. It happened to be a Sunday evening. And on Sundays, after I have laid it out, if you will, and preached my heart out, you got to know on Sunday evenings, I'm a little raw, and I'm a little kind of unplugged. And I didn't say this, but would you think less of me if I told you what I really wanted to say was, why, Steakin', why? (laughs) You know what I mean? Come on, church. How devoted are we going to be if we're going to let something like a traffic jam keep us or slow us down? So here's another idea. Don't you think we ought to be fired up that we go to a church where there's traffic jams? Come on now. 
You say, well, you know, I get frustrated around here sometimes because the line at the cafe is long, so I have to wait five minutes for my latte. Or my sweet tea at Garner. You know, they serve sweet tea instead of coffee over there. How about that? Get you some of that. Way to go, Garner! Or Sanford coffee all over our campus. You know, I had, I had to wait. Why stinking why? Really? I mean, come on. We're always trying to get better, and we have policemen to help with our crowd, and we always try. We're trying to make it a good experience for you, but what in the world has happened to Christians when we start complaining about such petty stuff as opposed to thanking the good Lord that His favor and His anointing is all over this church, and there's a crowd problem. Come on now, unshakable devotion, and at this church we have We've kind of spelled that out because some of you might be looking there going, okay, well, what is devotion then? What, is that, what does that look like? And at this church, we've basically made membership devotion. We have like thousands of members now, and, and the members have committed to this. And this, this is what we've decided to do because we want membership to actually mean something around here. We don't want it to be like, you know, you sign your name on a membership roll book or, or like I used to pastor a church. It, what it meant to be a member of that church was you got a free burial plot out back in the cemetery. Get you some of that. <laughs> Honey, let's go join that church. When we die, they'll bury us, right? You know? So, but, but what does it mean? So at New Hope, we've just made membership very, very strategic so that if we get a person engaged in these four things, we're going to have a person who has unshakable devotion to Christ. Usually, nothing's foolproof. But, but here are the four things that we ask folks to do in full devotion to Jesus. Grow in the grace of God. Amen? Participate in a life group. We had group link on Monday night. Do you know that we have had over 700 people get involved in group link in 2013? I said over 700 people have gotten involved in life groups. Serving in ministry is another thing. You want to you have unshakable devotion? Then let God use your one and only life for his kingdom. Amen. And we ask unapologetically and without excuse. Listen, if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, worship God with the biblical tithe. Because we believe when we get somebody growing in the grace of Jesus, we get somebody doing life with others in life group, we get somebody serving and off of self and on to God, and we get somebody worshiping God with the biblical tithe, you have a fully devoted follower of Jesus who embodies, listen, unshakable devotion to the Lordship of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Here's the second thing. God's house is a selfless, right in the word selfless community. God's house is a selfless community. In other words, what God looks down and blesses is men and women who actually give it all to God. They actually take, listen, self off the throne and they put Jesus and others on the throne. Jesus is the primary on the throne position. And then other people, we serve other people. They're not playing some kind of pseudo lukewarm religion. But when Christ saves a man and a woman's life, they go all in. They surrender everything, everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they just can't think of doing anything else. It is a selfless community. So I was talking earlier about when I meet people out and about in public. Normally when I meet people out in the public, if, I, if it's not a new hoper, you, you have this happen to you too, especially men. Men love to ask, what do you do for a living? 
right? And the reason we ask, what do you do for a living, is we kind of have this tendency to kind of, you know, we, we, we rank people, you know, what do you do? And men can sit around, you know, and they can always talk about what they do. And, and women are the same way. But when I get asked what I do for a living, if it's, if it's a not, not a Christian, if it's a non-religious person, if you will, I don't like that question. I don't like that question, particularly in this day and age. I'm just kind of being transparent with you for a moment. I, I've been tempted to lie. I do. Now, I, I, I don't, but there's that. I get asked, man, and then sometimes, you know, you're just tired or you're having a conversation and you're like, yeah, I, do, I really want to get into this. And I'll say, you know, well, I, I'm a pastor. And that's usually met with a lot of different responses. But oftentimes, again, if it's a non-believing person in this postmodern, anti-Christian, anti-pastor role, anti-clergy role, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, like one time somebody goes, yeah, I got a, I got a third cousin removed who has a dog that's religious. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but, but it's always kind of funny, the responses that you get. And sometimes I get asked questions, you know. And, and here's, a, here's a question that I get often, you know, especially if this person, if, now that was the non-believer, but sometimes if you kind of meet a person and they're believers, this, hey, hey, do you and your church speak in tongues? Ooh. You know, do, do, you, do, y'all, do y'all believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I want to say, you're asking the wrong question. Come on now. I, this, this is the question I want to get asked more than anything. Does your church love one another? Do you, do you experience the gospel changing people's lives at that church? Are you loving the world and actually making a difference in the world? Sometimes you get these big big questions that tend to divide denominations. You do know, don't you, when you get to heaven, there aren't going to be any denominations. Right? You do know this, don't you? You're not going to get to heaven and over here is going to be the Baptist. Over here will be the Presbyterian. Over here will be the Methodist. I I can't resist it. I got to tell you a story. Listen, a guy went to heaven one day. I can't resist it. This is not in my notes. Guy went to heaven one day. St. Peter was showing him around. And as he was walking through the corridors of heaven, looked over in one corner, and there was a group of people. They were kneeling, crossing themselves. He said, who's that, Peter? And Peter said, oh, that's the Catholics. Went a little bit further, and there was a group over there around the corner. They had suits and ties on, stiff, starched ties and suits, and very formal and prim and proper. And who's that, St. Peter? He said, oh, that's, that's the Presbyterians. Went a little bit farther, and there was a group over there. Man, they were just partying and drinking and doing whatever. I mean, just it didn't matter, you know. And he said, who's that? That's, that's, that's the Methodist. He went a little farther, and there was another group way, kind of way off in the distance. You know what I'm saying? He said, Lord, who's that way over there? And St. Peter said, shh, that's the Baptist, and they think they're the only ones here. I just stepped on all kinds of toes with that story. Right? Right? We are a church. Listen, 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 listen. 
The most important thing you can be thinking about in the church of Jesus Christ is do they love one another? Are they serving one another? Are they making a difference in the world? And let me just go ahead and have some fun on this for a moment. When I'm out in the rotunda and, and people come here, you know, and they're coming from other churches. That happens sometimes. And if you're here from another church, we're so glad you're here. But I normally have people come up to me and they're either here because God's just calling them here or they're here because they're leaving some kind of dysfunction. Right? And so they'll, they'll sometimes grab me and, and they'll want to try to badmouth their previous pastor. Which, by the way, I'm not into that. Okay, don't, don't care to hear about it. And I've been known to say, hey, if you've got such issues with your previous pastor, why don't you go back to that church, work that stuff out. You know what I mean? Get healthy, get whole, work that stuff out, deal with that thing with that pastor. And then if God leads you to come back. So I, I, I say that kind of stuff. But, but sometimes here's the most popular thing I get from people when they come to this church from other churches. And I just want to go ahead and warn you, I'm about to step on some toes. So at all of our campuses, on the count of three, just pull your feet up under your seat really closely. One, two, three. Pull them up, pull them up. Yeah, okay. I can still step on them, beloved. I can still get them. They'll say this to me. They'll say, I hear it all the time. They'll say, well, we want to come here because our last church, blank church, whatever that is, our last church, they don't meet my needs. Do you know how unbelievably selfish and arrogant that is? I heard people here yelling it out. You guys are amazing. And somebody used good old southern vernacular. It ain't about you. Sure, the gospel meets some of my needs. Come on, let's call it like it is. Sure, I have a need to have my sin forgiven. The gospel meets that need. Amen? I have a need to, to spend eternity with God. Yes, it meets those needs. I have a need to live my life on purpose for something that is far greater than me or the things of this world. Yes, 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 the gospel meets some of those needs. But what people typically mean by that is they're not catering to my every little whim and need. And can I just tell you, again, would you think less of me if I was honest enough to say to you that when people say that, I've heard it so much in 12 years, sometimes my stomach turns and I almost vomit on them. So like if you ever see me in the rotunda and I'm vomiting on someone, <laughs> just saying, yep, they said it. They said it to them. I, it, it, just, it just drives me crazy. It's not about you. It's not about me. The gospel is about him. And it is about, listen, it is about not meeting my every need. As I surrender to Christ and I follow Christ, God actually starts to transform my needs and actually shows me that the needs that I thought I had, I no longer have. And the needs that he wants me to have, I now have. It's, it's, so, it's so consumeristic. It's so, uh, it's so, if church and Christianity is all about meeting my needs and your needs, let me ask you a question. Who's on the throne? Me. But what it means to be a believer, what it means to have unshakable devotion, what it means to be a community that is selfless is Christ takes me, hello, off the throne position of my life Christ gets on the throne position of my life and my life then becomes all about what he wants and not what I want 
a selfless, selfless community. Have we forgotten that we are the church and we're here for the world? Not we're the church and we're here for me. We're the church and we're here for the world. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. God's house has a consuming focus. Firstly, it embodies an unshakable devotion. Sold out, all in, unbelievably for God. Number two, it's a selfless community. The third thing, God's house has a consuming focus. The church of the first century was laser focused. They knew what they were supposed to do. God's agenda was their agenda. And a church that really wants the favor and the blessing and the anointing of God will learn to put God's agenda on the front burner and everything else takes second place. If you are a church planter and you're watching this on the internet somewhere or you're watching this in front of your television and you're going to start a church one day, praise God for you. We need great church planters. But here's the most important thing I can tell you to do as you launch a church. You figure out what is a God-honoring vision and you be laser-focused on that vision. Don't you sway from the right or to the left. But you focus on God's agenda. And again, if you're a church planner, one of the greatest temptations you will have is to start adding things to your agenda. One of the greatest temptations that Satan will use to uh, distract a church, to cause a church to not to be effective, is for a church, listen, to start doing a bunch of things that the church has no business doing. And if you are not careful, the church, and you've seen this probably, the church will become nothing more than like a social club. If the church is not careful, it can start to kind of look like the local uh, uh, Kiwanis Club, right? Or the local Rotary Club. When the Bible is very, very clear and Acts chapters 2 through 5 shows us that that first church was so laser focused, listen, that they turned the world upside down. Or should I say right side up because they were focused on Jesus, lifting Jesus up, teaching the word of God, and then seeing people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so we've encapsulated that vision. One thing, it's a threefold focus. What is it? Again. One more time. I love at this church that I don't even have to say vision and you guys know it. We are laser focused at this church. We fight ruthlessly for the vision. We staff according to the vision. We budget according to the vision. We do ministries according to the vision. Because listen, if the church is not careful, the church will start doing way too many things and end up doing nothing very well. So we're focused. Acts 4, 19 and 20. Why don't you read it out loud with me really strong again. Ready? Go. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have. We cannot help speaking about what church? What we have seen and heard. They were focused. It was all about Jesus. 
in what they had seen and heard in Christ. Christianity is not so much about a belief system, but instead it is about who I am as a result of what I have seen and heard in Jesus. Here's my question to you. Do you find yourself, have you ever been in a position, have you ever been in a spiritual place in your life where you can't stop talking and living for Jesus because of what you've seen and heard? Have you? It's a serious question. And I love the responses that are coming back. Some of you are kind of new. You're checking out the faith. You're new in this whole thing. You need to know this. When you actually experience Jesus Christ, the ultimate goal of your life, his life through you, is that everything you do, I said everything that you do, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that if you are a dentist, I just saw a dentist in the house. If you are a dentist and you've seen and heard about Jesus, your consuming focus is not teeth. Your consuming focus is lifting high Jesus Christ and making him famous through your practice. You might sell cars, but if you have seen and heard Jesus, your consuming focus is not the sale of an automobile. But growing, but growing. For those of you at the campus, this is a man who's on the front row who sells cars. I'm not kidding. Randy Rupert, he can hook you up. Dude, I just got you a bunch of business. You better tithe on every car you sell. <laughs> and you know what? He does. You might be a lawyer. Listen, but if you have seen and heard about Jesus, your consuming focus as a Christian is not litigation and the courtroom, but rather releasing people to one day stand before the ultimate judge as righteous and innocent based on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a consuming Focus. You might be a stay-at-home parent. God bless you. No, it's an awesome, high calling. But if you have seen and heard Jesus, your focus is not those beautiful children. Your focus is to so live for God as a stay-at-home parent that your children rise up and call you blessed and live out a legacy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a consuming focus where everything, listen, is about Jesus. If you're new here, you're going, whoa, this place is kind of intense. You're daggum right. We actually believe this stuff. We've never had a vision to, to raise up a church of lukewarm religious people. We've never had a vision to, to raise up a bunch of complacent note takers. I mean, we have a vision where Jesus actually makes a difference in our world. Jesus uses us. And we live for Jesus not just on Sundays... But Monday through Saturday, can I get an amen? We're all in. I mean, this stuff, is, this stuff is real. It has changed our lives. And like the people in the book of Acts, we cannot stop. You'll know when Jesus has all of you when you cannot stop talking about him. 
When you cannot stop thinking about him. When you cannot stop living for him. Instead of what we do in some churches is we just kind of get a bunch of navel gazing going on. We got a bunch of personal agendas going on. And whenever we have a bunch of personal agendas going on, then you have a recipe for backstabbing, politicking, gossip, and all the other cancer in the body of Christ. But when you are a community of faith and you have one agenda, and that agenda is to lift Jesus high, that's when a church starts to become God's house where his favor flows. There was a pastor, and I've wanted to do this. I just want to tell you, I actually wanted to steal this sermon, and I wanted to preach it. It's the shortest sermon, I'm convinced, ever in the history of humanity. It's a true story. And I'll never forget when I heard it, I filed it. I'm like, I'm going to do that one day, and I've never done it. So I guess I'm not going to do it now. I'm just going to tell you about it. The pastor got up one Sunday morning. And he was talking about this all-in faith. He was talking about not being a church where, you know, we're into this kind of religious consumerism where it's all about me. He was trying to drill down on the point. And so he got up in the pulpit. It was a traditional church. He got in the pulpit. And he got ready to preach. And they're expecting, like always, a you know, 35, 45, 50-minute message. And he mounted that pulpit. True story. And he said, I stopped by today. To let you know with a broken heart that there are thousands of people living in and around this church that are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And he paused. And after a long pregnant pause, he said, and what really drives me crazy is that most of you don't give a damn. Oh yeah, I just said damn in church. Kind of felt good, to be honest with you. I don't know why. Don't know if I've ever done that. Remember, it's not my sermon, so don't get mad at me. And don't judge. No, stick with me. Stick with me. There's thousands of people are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And most of you don't give a damn. Paused again, second long pause. And he said, what bothers me more than anything else is most of you are now offended by the fact that I said damn in church more than you are offended of the fact that there are lost people dying and going to hell without Jesus. And he shut his Bible with that. And he walked off the stage. Now that's a good sermon. You would beat all the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterian to lunch or dinner. That's a good sermon. You'd dig that, man. That's a two-minute message. You see the point he was making? We can get so wrapped up in religiosity. We can get so wrapped up in navel-gazing. We can get so, and if you're a young person in here, listen, I don't talk like that in church, and I don't think we should, and that's just for effect and illustration, but that was good. We can get so offended and bent out of shape over the wrong stuff, and there was a group of people in the Bible who did that time and time and time again, and they got on Jesus' last nerves. They were called the Pharisees. And I shared with you last week, this is a personal message for me. I want to pastor a church 
that keeps the main thing the main thing. I want to pastor a church that steers as far and clear as we possibly can from religious lukewarm consumerism, but rather is made up of a, of a group of people who will charge hell with a water pistol because they are so passionate and they are so fired up about the gospel of Jesus Christ that just like the book of Acts, they, if you're going to clap, clap. Just like the book of Acts, they can't do anything other than... Speak about what they've seen and heard. They can't do anything other than live for what they've seen and heard. John Stott, great theologian, author. I've read most of his books. If I'm not mistaken, John Stott died in the last year or so. But I want to share with you something that he spoke about. It's his words and not mine. John Stott from Great Britain great theologian, author. He said this, and I'm just going to read it straight for you because I can't say it any better than he did. You know what your own country is like? He's speaking to Americans. You know what your own country is like? I'm a visitor, and I wouldn't presume to speak about America. But I know what Great Britain is like. I know something about the growing dishonesty, corruption, immorality, violence, pornography, the diminishing respect for human life, and the increase in abortions. Whose fault is it? He asked. Let me put it like this. If the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, John Stott says... There is no sense in blaming the meat. This is what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the church? Where's the church? See, our temptation in the church, if we are not careful, is to stand back insulated by our stained glass windows and look at the world and curse the darkness in the world. But the truth is, what would the world look like if the church raised up to be the church? What would the church look like if we actually lived out this stuff that we really and truly believe? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are to preserve Morality and integrity and honesty. Jesus said you are the light of the world. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel, he said. But instead, take off the bushel and let your light shine. God's house embodies an unshakable devotion. It's a selfless community. It has a consuming focus. And I'll end with this. Do you know what Jesus said about the church when she gets this right? 
He said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said when a church lives out the biblical principles and becomes the bride of Christ in the world, Jesus said, I will build my house and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ when she rises up and lives out this gospel that we so love. Can I get an amen? If you receive it, let me hear you. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we bow before you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to fill this house as it did in Pentecost. We ask for your Holy Spirit to unite us as the body of Christ. We ask for your Holy Spirit to shape us into a community of faith at all of our campuses. Where, God, we don't fall into a kind of cheap, watered-down consumeristic version of your faith, but Father, we would be a people. We would be a people who take seriously the word of the Lord, the teachings that you give us. And that, Father, that would manifest itself in an unshakable devotion where men and women are born again, sold out for you and you alone. They live their lives, Father God, before an audience of one, and his name is Jesus. Father, that we would be a community of selfless, that we would serve one another, that we would serve the world, that we would realize that the church is the only organization that exists for the person who is not here yet. Lord, that we would be a church with a consuming focus. God, it can be called many different things, but the truth is our focus is one and one thing only, that is to lift high the name of Jesus so that others can come to know him and learn his word and then be released to live for you. So, Father, thank you for the church. I thank you for every single person who is gathered here, who might be at our other campuses, who might be watching this on television or the Internet. God, thank you that they, you, me, we are the church. So have your way with us, Lord. It's your agenda that we pursue, not our own. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.